Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Breakfast and the class today is sponsored by Jacob Cohen in honor of his wife Cookie and in celebration of the birth of their daughter that we just named this morning, uh, Adele Adina Bat Farida. Okay, uh, let me just explain uh, to the Ashkenazim that might be listening on the recording that sound was not a technical difficulty, it's the Sephardic sound of joy. Okay, the next thing as well, Rabotai Breakfast is also in the class is sponsored. In loving memory of uh, Cookie, uh, sorry, of Shoshana Bat, of Shoshana Bat Leah, we've been saying uh, the Tefilot and the classes for her for quite some time. Bezat Hashem, we should be zochet to raise her neshama uh, in Shamaim, and as well to bring her pride and joy in all the things that we do in this world, uh, but through the family. Now, I, I want to just talk really only about one concept, one idea that to me is uh, is a very powerful one when it comes the story of Hanukkah. And again, if there's one thing that you take home about Hanukkah, it should be this, okay? We say all these wonderful terminologies, but there's one terminology that a person needs to pay attention to, which seems very strange. We thank God, we say thank you God, that's why I don't know if you ever noticed, we say well, there's a vav there before, the idea is, we're saying thank you also for this. Thank you for the miracles. I got that. And the wonders. I got that. Why in the world would I say thank you? For the wars. For the fights. You know, like they say in Hebrew. I don't want them. I don't want the merit. I don't need any wars. I don't need any fighting. No one needs to die. No one needs to get maimed. No one needs to never come back. Why would I say thank you for the milhamot? And uh, the, there's a wonderful, wonderful answer from the Panovich Rav. The Panovich Rav, he explained something, and I think it's so incisive and insightful. He said the war between the Jewish people and the Greeks, it wasn't a physical war. It was a spiritual war, okay? They only didn't want the Jews to be able to act and to practice their Judaism. So the war against the Greek was a war, as we keep saying, a war for identity and practice, the ability to go to synagogue. I remember visiting a city called Theresienstadt. It sits in, uh, right in the outskirts of Prague. Over there, they had a holding camp for the Nazis where 150,000 Jews went through that place. It was not supposed to be a concentration camp. In fact, its purpose was to be, it was called, the paradise of the camps. Why? There, Hitler, and his Nazis, they staged a, uh, a little bit of Hollywood. They, they had the Jewish people playing soccer. They would have bands, of, uh, a 25-piece uh, you know, symphony, where all the Jewish players uh, from previously, before the war, they'd come together and they'd make music. They shot a video, and we can still find it today in the archives, of Theresienstadt, so they could show the world, look, all these lies about how we're treating the Jews in the camps, not true. Look, they're playing football. Look here, they're doing all this wonderful music. What are you talking about? You know, so I've been to Theresienstadt many, many times. Now, I don't know if you know this, but if you go outside the museum, you walk a couple streets down in what was once the ghetto, <clears throat> in the city named after Maria, uh, Marie Theresa, the, uh, the uh, emperor's wife from back in the day, you'll find that there's a little, little house Behind the house is a room. It used to be a storeroom behind the bakery in Theresienstadt. And you walk into this little tiny room that used to be behind the bakery. They would store all the flour. 
a bunch of Jews went in there and they turned it into a hidden bet Knesset. The walls are painted, again, it's maybe a quarter of the size of this room, little tiny room, but it's painted with little red lines, a magen David in the middle of the ceiling, the words of the, you know, may our eyes see, when you return, you know, has the words of, what's it called, with all that's happened to us, we still haven't forgotten your name. And I took a bunch of, a group of kids in there. From, uh, from London. And I said to them, you know, I want you to imagine what it must have been like on a Friday night to come here. And instead of singing, or whatever tune they would have used, they were whispering so that they weren't caught. This has been, although it is not, has not been our life, it has not been our experience of Judaism. The vast majority of the Jewish people's experiences throughout history have been some form of this or another. Hiding for this reason, hiding for that reason, not knowing what kind of tax they might put on you, not knowing if the Wednesday night before you got married, the local leader or, 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 or a power player would steal away the bride, you know, and in order to sleep with the bride before she was with her husband. They had to change Jewish weddings to be on Wednesday nights so that the hegemon would not know and not try and grab the wedding before her wedding night. This is what the Jewish people are dealing with throughout history. Allah milchamot means we thank God for these fights. What does that mean? Thank God for the fights. And I want to share with you something which I think is so powerful. You may not have been able to sing Lechadodi out loud. You may have had to change the day of your wedding so that you could sneak a wedding, a bride down the aisle <coughs> without her getting taken. You may have had to do all these wonderful things that you know we don't wish on our worst enemy. But bottom line, although we cannot control the outcome, we can control our efforts. We won't say for the victories until the time of Mashiach, but on the idea to say to thank God that we can fight, that we can do something. There's a tremendous story that is told about Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa was someone that the whole generation was sustained in the merit of his prayers. But the guy didn't have two pennies to rub together. He had nothing. So much so that the Torah, the Gemara tells us about one time he's walking back with a bag of salt and it starts raining in the salt. If the rain goes in the salt, it gets ruined. Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa turns to heaven and he says, the whole world is rejoicing over the rain. And I, Rabbi Hanina, am sad. Instantly the rain stops. This is the power of this man. But I always point out that listen to the power of the man and then understand how poor he was. That he was willing to pray to God to stop the rain because he couldn't afford that a little bag of salt should get ruined. This is the poverty that we're talking about. Anyway, he's seeing that as the Beta Mikdash, it comes time for the holiday, all of his friends are preparing all these korbanot, sacrifices to bring to the temple. And he's got nothing. And he can't afford, he doesn't have a dime. What's he going to bring to the temple? But it burns within him this desire to do something, to do something beautiful too. So he goes off into the, to the mount, nearest mountains, takes a hammer, he toils all day until he cracks off a giant piece of the mountain. What do you do? You go to a little bit of height and you keep hitting with a chisel until a giant piece falls off. And then he sits there with uh, you know, sandpaper and he's chiseling and he's rubbing and he's smoothing until finally he's taken this massive rock and he's polished it so it looks like a beautiful piece of shiny marble that he's hewn out of the mountain with his own hands. Okay, I'm imagining his fingers bloody, you know, all rough, and he's sweating like an animal. He's the rabbi of the generation. 
He's the lead rabbi, and he's covered in dust. And now he's got this three-ton rock that he can't even lift. And he thinks that, he says, you know, he asks some people who are movers, he says, could you help me take this to Jerusalem? And the movers say, sure, no problem. You have $1,000? You know, they didn't have task rabbit. You know, the rabbi says, look, I don't have $1,000. I don't even have a cucumber. You know, I can't help. They said, you know, you don't have a cucumber. You don't have $1,000. We're not moving your rock. He starts crying to God that he needs movers to take the stone to Jerusalem. <clears throat> All of a sudden, out of no, as if out of nowhere, five people start walking down the road, right? And who are they? He doesn't know. He, they're movers. They come up to him. They said, what do you need? Why are you crying? I have this rock. I prepared it. I want to take it to the temple. It should be something special for the Beta Mikdash. He says, but I, I'm trying to move it. I can't afford movers. They said, listen, we're going to Jerusalem anyway. We'll take your rock for free. On one condition, that you put your hand and you, you also help us. Okay, they all get there. You know, one, on three, three and, right? They one, two, three, they lift the rock. The rabbi puts his hand under the rock. As they lift the rock, they, he finds himself in Jerusalem. This is a, the whole thing is stories of miracles. There's angels there. The, the stone is going to be lifted. But I want you to notice what's beautiful about this story. Number one, what the heck was the rabbi thinking? You have a three-ton rock. You know, Bill Crosby, Bill Cosby, excuse me, is a disgraced comedian. But I remember back in the day listening to one of his bits. You know, everyone sees Noah and he's building a teva. And someone comes and knocks on his door and he says, Mr. Noah, do you know how far you are from the shore? You're building this monstrous boat. You know how you know, the water's not cut. He explains, no, no, it's not about the boat. I'm not taking it to the shore. There's going to be a flood. The flood's going to come to my driveway. Okay? Rabbi Hananiah, this guy, you want to build, get a rock over there in Jerusalem. What is he doing? <clears throat> and the answer is, even someone who could pray like Rabbi Hanina ben Dosa, even he, the miracle doesn't happen. Even he who could summon angels, even he who could control the rain, so to speak, the miracle doesn't happen until you roll your sleeves up and you sweat a little bit and you try to do something. It bothers him so much that he's got nothing. But what does he have? He can get a rock. He can take a rock, a pebble. He can shine the pebble. He can do something. The obligation of every, each and every Jew <clears throat> is not to provide for the outcome, but it's to provide for the very best effort that I can put in right here, right now. I don't even know what that is, but something. My rabbi used to talk all the time about his mother. You know, lots of people have a special custom that when it comes, <clears throat> when it comes to looking forward towards Mashiach, you know, everybody says, you know, oh, I'm waiting. You waiting for Mashiach, honey? Yes? You, you waiting for Mashiach? You waiting? You ready? When can he come? When's he gonna, when can he come? Tomorrow. Everybody says, he's coming tomorrow. I'm ready. I'm preparing. So the, the rabbis used to say, if, he's, if you're ready, are you packed? Are you packed? If you're not packed, you're not really waiting. Right? If you were waiting to go to Israel tomorrow, you'd have all the suitcases packed up, unless you bought a basic economy fair like me, where it doesn't come with, with suitcases. But the point is, right? What have you got? You, get, you, it's, you're, you believe in it as much as you prepared for it. If you don't have a plan, if, so the lots of people, they would buy a special garment for the time of Mashiach, a begged Mashiach. My rabbi said his mother, they couldn't afford it. His mother wanted to buy something for the time of Mashiach, but she couldn't afford to buy an extra pair of clothes that she wasn't going to wear. She didn't have the money. So she thought, you know what, I'll buy something. She bought a Mashiach broom. That's what she could afford. So that when Mashiach comes, I'm never going to use it. 
When it comes, I should, yeah, I should sweep up the streets of Jerusalem, of my home, of my apartment in Israel. When Mashiach takes me, I should have a brand new broom for the kavod of that moment. It's an effort. Is that bringing Mashiach? No. But the miracles can only happen when a person is expending some level of effort. And I, I mentioned this the other night in my class to the, in the Young Professionals. I find this so beautiful. We say, I mentioned in the Halakha this morning, that on the, in Birkat Amazon, when a person forgets Al-Anisim, what should they say? Harahaman hu ya'aseh lanu nisim. Please God, make us miracles. Now that's different to Al-Anisim that you say when you say it in its place. In its place you say, thank you for miracles. Okay? But when you forget it in Birkat Amazon, what are you saying? Harahaman hu ya'aseh lanu nisim. God, please do miracles for us. We all know that we have a rule, that the rule states that you cannot ask for miracles. We're allowed to ask for something in the natural order of things. But this guy over here, you just had a baby girl. Let's say, I'm just giving an imaginary scenario. Let's say you'd have preferred a boy. Could you have prayed, you know, your wife, your wife, is, your wife is pushing the baby out. Could you have prayed right then? Hashem, please make it a boy. Could you do that? Not allowed to do that. The Gemara says, shav. It's a prayer for nothing. It's because it's already a girl. You can't. Imagine the baby is born, they hold it up, congratulations, the daughter. Hashem, please make it a boy. You're causing all sorts of problems if you do that, okay? <laughs> now, do you understand this, Rabbi Are you allowed to pray? You can't. You're not supposed to pray for a miracle. So, why in the world? Why in the world? The Saba could even be a Safta. The point is, why? Hashem, Arachmanu Ya'aselanu Nisim. You're not allowed to do that. And the answer is unbelievable. Because on Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah is a time where the miracles, the spigot of miracles is open. And on this time, um, during the days of Hanukkah, where the many were defeated by the few, where the strong were defeated by the weak, where the holy people managed to overtake the strongest army on earth, now is a time of miracles. You're not asking for something out of the ordinary. So during the, the days of Hanukkah, person is allowed to pray for even something which is out of the reach of him during the normal days of the year, except for one condition, as we said. You got to roll up your sleeves and go find a rock. You got to stop polishing the rock, sweat a little bit. What does that mean? A person's marriage, it feels like it's over, okay? You could pray that it should be, it should be fixed. Because it's Hanukkah, even if it's going to be a miracle. They've already, you know, got the divorce lawyers. They already have the papers on the table. They took his kids away from him in court. It's already done. It's a done deal. I'm not allowed to pray for this. The guy already, you know, his wife decided they're not having no more children anymore. He's a person still allowed to pray. But, but, there has to be some level of effort. I always found this magnificent. We know that the mitzvah of Hanukkah is to light the candles. And the point of the candles is what? to spread word of the miracle. That's the idea. That's why you light it by the window. That's why if it's too high, right, <coughs> where no one else can see it, of course you don't fulfill the obligation. The whole point of the candles is that people should see the candles. Correct? Let me ask you a question now, based on what you just heard from me. What if someone lights the candles and one second after he lit the candles, one second, the candle blows out? Does he have to light again? Nobody saw it. The halakha is kavta enuzakukla. If the fire goes out, he doesn't need to light it again. How could that be? The whole point is to spread word of the miracle. And the miracle is out. Rabotai, that's the point. The miracle that we're trying to illustrate is the miracle of human resilience and hope. The fact that in a dark night, someone could try and light something. 
That's the miracle. If a person is willing and capable of doing the effort that they put in, they've already done their part. The fact that a wind blew it out afterwards that could not have been expected, that's not my problem. So Rabotai, don't, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big God is. If a person is looking into an abyss, if a person is looking at a problem, this is the time, this is the week, the eight days that we have where we can spread our hands to the very heavens and ask a Kadosh Baruch Hu for something outlandish, for something wild, for something crazy. So long as we're willing to take the first step towards him. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen. Rebbe Chananya ben Agasha Omer. Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yitzhak Israel. Le'fikach Rebbe Adem Torah Mitzvot Shnei Amar. Na'afetz Ma'atzeko. Le'edu Torah Ve'adir.